and welcome to This Week in James City County. I'm your host, Renee Dahlman. Today, I am once again joined by Scott Stevens, James City County's County Administrator. Welcome, Scott. Well, great to be back, Renee. As always, there seems to be plenty to talk about, so I'm excited to be back and hope to share some information and see where we end up. Absolutely. Things don't slow down for the summer, do they? Um, you know, they may change focus, but they really don't seem to slow down. I think we've missed that time in our careers where things <laughs> might have slowed down in summer or winter, but uh, it's all good. It's a lot of fun to be part of. It is. So why don't you take it away? All right. Well, I guess you know, first for me, I'm a summertime person and summer seems to be moving really fast. We're, we're doing this sort of towards the end of July, early August, and um, it's not bad, but I, I will be into the fall before you know it. So I would encourage people to enjoy the weather and it'll change if it's not your time of year. And uh, uh, But it is a great time to be out and doing things in the community. So I hope you're finding a place to do that. I have started, I guess, in past with our board of supervisor meetings, and I think I'll do that. Our July 12th meeting or the board's meeting, uh, they did approve two special use permits, one for a, a church daycare on Long Hill and another for a kettle processing, uh, kettle corn processing center on Richmond Road. So again, not a lot, not any public comment related to that. So they did approve that. They were also asked to approve two project-based vouchers for affordable housing projects, uh, Powhatan Terrace and Blaine Landing. And the board did approve these project-based vouchers for Powhatan Terrace, really predicated on the fact that uh, it was needed as part of the tax uh, credit application. And, and Powhatan Terrace developer felt that if they didn't get approval for them, they wouldn't have the other units. And I think they have 36 units total, five would be uh, have these vouchers. And again, so that would allow the other 31 to be the low to moderate income uh, folks within our community. So the board approved one. Blaine Landing had five or six as well, it was 119 units. Their developer didn't believe they were needed for the tax credit products and, uh, to be approved, the tax credits. And so ultimately the board uh, disapproved uh, or didn't accept those um, project-based vouchers for Blaine Landing, which was formerly Oakland uh, and had a lot of discussion around that back when the rezoning occurred. So as part of that meeting also, they made an appointment to the EDA board and they did performance evaluations, closed session items for myself as your county administrator and for our county attorney. Uh, and again, we, we both appreciate that. Their feedback is very helpful. And, and at least today, based on their comments at their July 26th meeting, they seem to be pleased with the work that uh, Adam Kinsman and I are doing for the community. And so that's certainly our hope is that we'll uh, maintain the board's confidence in the communities and our staffs. And at least today, we all feel like we're pulling in the same direction. So it makes it easier to be in a good spot or be in this spot uh, serving the community. Well, it's obvious that you did well because you're here. So congratulations. Uh, that's not always quite so obvious, but we're here and we're smiling and uh, most, we're all saying good things at this point. And again, it's been a real pleasure to serve the community uh, these past almost four years. And again, working with the board has been great. So I do appreciate their uh, support and their questions of which they have plenty uh, based on what the community is asking of them and where they think we ought to be headed. But it really is, a, I believe, a good relationship for all of us at the moment and hope to maintain that. Um, you know, July 26th, uh, their most recent meeting, I do apologize. We had some audiovisual issues in the beginning of that meeting. So if you go on demand, it was eventually broadcast on our TV channel, but it took a few moments and that we didn't have internet access. We didn't have some video and audio issues with the beginning of it. And so we missed uh, the Historical Commission essay contest winners, which I really am sorry about for those families that we weren't able to see the video. There's no audio. Uh, we also had a national night out uh, discussion with our police department. It's August 2nd. Um, again, you see the video, there's no audio. 
Uh, we had an update from VDOT uh, and Rossi Carroll, our resident administrator. Uh, we did end up with some audio. It's not the best, but at least through his presentation, we did have uh, with some quick thinking and ability to capture some audio and later override it on the video that we had that was pretty good. And so, and then after Mr. Carroll's presentation, as we get into their consent agenda and other discussion items, what we've got on, on our on-demand site is good audio and video as you would expect. So again, apologize for that. We are working to replace that equipment and make sure we have that studio set up as we go forward. There's a lot more behind the scenes than I would have ever thought. Uh, and there are pieces of equipment that time out over time. So um, our staff is working to correct that. It's, uh, beyond the, the natural, uh, when I talked to the VDOT update, Rossi Carroll gave a number of updates of things in our area. At least two projects I think would be of significant concern um, would be the signal timing change on 199. And for those that travel 199 and come out particularly off the side streets, you may or may not have noticed that the signal timing is different, but it is. And so I just wanna uh, let you know that that project has been one that's been discussed for many years. It did get implemented in the, in the recent weeks. Uh, I travel 199 on a very regular basis, notice the change, at least in the intersection as we leave the government center at the Mounts Bay uh, Road uh, intersection. Um, and at least my perspective of traveling up and down, it looks like the signals are working better together. So that's the goal is to move traffic more efficiently uh, along 199 and across streets. Uh, so that project is uh, implemented in there. Uh, that's also very little discussion in terms of Rossi Carroll's uh, conversation about project pipeline. And that was really a survey that went out earlier this year to residents along 199 and trying to do some uh, intersection improvements. And again, those two projects both have the same goal of more efficient movement of traffic, but they're not related. They are one that the signal timing project's been talked about for a lot of years. It's just been implemented. The project pipeline uh, discussion is really just beginning. We had the survey this spring. Uh, it would make some physical improvements at the interchanges, but those are still years away from happening uh, and trying to help with congestion relief as we go forward in time and have more traffic that's predicted along 199. Um, there was a, a some concern about confusion with the way it was put out in a survey. And so VDOT has agreed to come back with another meeting with our board and then some community meetings this fall. And those dates aren't set, uh, but I believe the community meetings are in the October, November timeframe. So as we have those dates, we certainly will communicate that uh, because there seemed to be a lot of interest in what would go on there and what might occur. So uh, beyond that, uh, the board awarded a number of contracts. Uh, we did 112,000 for our medical director and our medical director is a contractor position uh, and they supervise our EMT staff. And I think most localities have it set up that way where we don't have a full-time doctor. We have a contracted physician that oversees our EMT staff. So again, we've had a very good relationship with Dr. Luca for a number of years. And so this was a renewal of that contract. Uh, they approved watershed management plan, plans, about $735,000 for Diaspora Creek. Palatin and Yarmouth Creeks, and so those projects will be underway in about a year, year and a half to finish them. Uh, they awarded a contract uh, $730,000 for two ambulances. Ambulances are much more expensive than I thought they were, so that's, uh, but they certainly are needed in our community, and, and we, uh, according to our medical director, provide some of the best response that he's aware of within the state in terms of our ability, our staff training, and equipment that they come to our house with, so I'm very uh, pleased to hear that from somebody who should know what goes on in other parts of, of Virginia as well. Uh, we did accept a $30,000 grant uh, for radiological emergency planning uh, and then a couple of resolutions uh, adopted by the board for Ches Bay violations and uh, support of a smart scale transportation application. So uh, that was of their consent agenda. They had a number of discussion items. Um, Pre-K feasibility study is one that we have 
well, the pre-K capacity and elementary school capacity is something we've talked about an awful lot. Last December, the board um, agreed to fund a pre-K uh, facility. We had an ANLAR study that suggested we might have a need for 650 students. So we provided design money, the school division, or what Williamsburg James City County Schools did hire, hire a consultant to do a feasibility analysis of how would they serve up to 650 pre-K students um, within the community. And so the consultant came back to the school board in June and came back to our board at this meeting in July with really three recommendations. One, uh, they first said that they couldn't put uh, two pre-K centers on existing sites and meet the 650 capacity. There just didn't seem to be room on existing elementary school sites without really severely limiting what else goes on in the elementary school. So they, one recommendation was you build two new freestanding sites on new properties somewhere in the county, both a little bit south, a little bit north, so your travel time for the pre-K centers is not uh, too far for anyone. Uh, that cost without the land purchase was around $48 million. Uh, they suggested you could still build the new elementary school that had been uh, suggested by the school uh, board some time ago at $45 million, or you could build three smaller additions uh, at existing elementary schools, and not additions, but standalone buildings on existing elementary school sites where they could sh share some of the infrastructure there on those existing sites. You could serve 489 students, so not the 650 we talked about, but you could do that for around 26 million. So that's coming back. I just want, I believe, wanted to bring it back to our Board of Supervisors as a primary funder of this project uh, to just make sure that the $26 million and 489 students was the direction they wanted to go, or did they want to go with uh, still serving 650 students? And in doing that, do we build two freestanding uh, facilities on new sites for pre-K, or do we build a new elementary school? And so we're having those kind of conversations and we'll circle back with the school board in the coming months. But certainly we all agree the elementary schools are full and trying to work on solutions to solve it. And then in our budget, uh, just as an FYI, we have $26 million between the city and the county that's been approved. So the the 48 and $45 million numbers are significantly more than we have currently budgeted in our CIP. And those funds are out there this year. So uh, all those kind of things are going on into consideration of what the right decision is for going forward for our community. Uh, the 489 seats, just before I forget, I believe there are about 400 children currently in uh, the pre-K uh, program uh, within the, our school division. And so it will provide a little bit additional capacity, but not a lot. Uh, the 650 was seen as it would provide more capacity for pre-K as we go forward in time. So that's really the, the downside of doing the smaller three additions or three uh, site work. Uh, the board also has conversation around the business investment uh, EDA grant, uh, really focused at redevelopment of existing sites. We have buildings that are out there that really are an eyesore, that are vacant, uh, not being used, uh, and trying to have at least some um, incentive to help a developer pick an existing site versus building on a new site. And oftentimes building on a new site is less expensive than renovating an old site, particularly when you're changing the use. So if you go from an auto shop store to a restaurant, um, that building use changed, it kicks in a lot of code requirements and development requirements that become sometimes challenging for developers to get over. And so our, what they are proposing uh, for redevelopment of existing sites along our community corridors, really those more traveled by us that would benefit us and visitors to our community, really to help with visual improvements to the site, whether it's landscaping or building appearances or driveways, uh, up to $10,000. And I will tell you $10,000 is a lot of money individually. It's not a lot of money when in the redevelopment. So it's really just trying to show we do have some interest in helping 
uh, developers uh, reinvest in our community and redevelop some of these existing sites versus building new. But the $10,000 doesn't cover a lot of their costs. So I, I don't want to say it's a windfall for developers because that's not true, but it does help get us at least in it a little bit. And many of our neighboring localities do something similar as well. So I think it's a, a very worthwhile and defensible program. And our budget this year, we've got $50,000. So at $10,000, dollars per grant. That's five projects that we could fund uh, on this next fiscal year. We also talked about uh, our consolidated waste, the garbage service, the idea the county would get into or, or have a countywide collection for garbage and recycling and bulk pickup. Uh, we had a study done about this time last year that was presented to the Board of Supervisors in November. Uh, we had enough things going on. We just didn't bring it back to the board until this July meeting. Uh, our department did a short summary of it and really um, the board decided that they, at the end of it, would like to move to the next step. And the next step is still talking through it, what it looks like, um, and would uh, come in the form of a new position for us that sort of runs it. We need somebody that it's a, it's a big enough effort and there's enough pieces to it that it can't be a part-time job for somebody. So we will bring back a position in September, October, and ask the board to authorize an additional position that we could hire somebody to sort of become our expert in managing and leveraging and working with community members and our HOAs uh, to try to move it forward and then take their input and continue going on with that. Some of the benefits to me uh, in terms of the study that came out a year ago, cost is a little bit of a benefit. It's five or $10 a month deeper. So again, you can say that's a big deal or not a big deal. Uh, but I do think for a, a little less money, you get better service in general, more, more uh, comprehensive service. So I think that's a good thing. Um, the big thing that came out of the study that surprised me is our garbage trucks in the community because we have multiple providers run about 6,000 miles a week on our roads. If you had one provider, it'd be closer to 2,000 miles a week. So you reduce the truck traffic on, on all of our streets within the county, which I think all of us would probably appreciate. Uh, some neighborhoods have multiple vendors on the street. So you can have garbage containers out on, out on the street almost every day of the week. If we switched over to one provider, uh, your garbage can would be out on a Tuesday or a Thursday or whatever day, but that neighborhood would all be serviced at the same time. And then the other thing that I believe is that a, a significant part of litter in our community comes off the garbage trucks. So, I mean, they just are uh, difficult sometimes to capture it all, or they have shields or things that aren't in place at times. Uh, but I know I have personally seen three or four or five different companies losing litter traveling down our roads. And when we see that, we call the companies. Thus far, they've been very good to respond and be apologetic and come to pick up litter, but I'd rather stop it. And right, so if we're dealing with one company or our own staff, I think we have a better chance of managing some of the littering that goes on within the community that's unintentional, but still has the same visual impact on the roads that we drive. So we are moving to a, a community conversation, one of our public meetings. Uh, we haven't set the date, but it will be a September timeframe and our consolidated waste uh, uh, discussion will be part of that to sort of tell the community where we are, what we see the benefits of the report, and to listen to their concerns one way or the other, what they would like. Is it mandatory? Is it inside the PSA? Is it countywide? Does the county do it ourselves? We hire staff, we buy trucks, or do we contract it? And so we're going to talk through some of those pros and cons with community members that are interested and see which direction they'd like for us to go. So again, it's still a multi-year approach. We're not going to be in the garbage business in the next six months, uh, but we could be in the garbage business uh, in the next two to three years. So we're working on how that might look. Uh, the other thing with our community conversations that I would, miss, would mention, and I think I mentioned in our last podcast, uh, is we still would come back community conversation to be consolidated waste in September and uh, this consolidated building, meaning a new government complex and sort of why we see the value of that and the need for that in serving our community going forward. So I hope we'll have good attendance at the meeting and we'll promote that date uh, before 
too long. They also approved the Board of Improvement MOU with uh, Acura Organa. Uh, we're really trying to develop a sister relationship. There was an author that wrote Jamestown to Jamestown. And so there really is a connection between uh, James City County and Acura Organa. And so we're working on the details of that might look like. And this MOU is a first step in that. And interestingly enough, we, recently we had an ambassador uh, from the U.S. to Ghana to be a James uh, Williamsburg uh, former resident. Her parents live here. She grew up in this area. And so uh, just sort of coincidental, but I think that's a nice touch to have that uh, uh, connection as well. And then the board did approve appointments to the Ches Bay and Wetlands Board and appointments to our stormwater um, uh, advisory committee. So again, uh, not a bad meeting, covered a lot of ground during it. And uh, uh, that's all they're doing for July. They, the board has taken August off. So um, there won't be a board meeting in August. There's still, again, some other meetings I'll mention that are coming up for the public to be involved in. Uh, but our board of supervisors will meet again uh, the second Tuesday in September. Phew, all right, Renee, that's a, a breath for me. Anything you want to clarify on that or is that enough? No, I think that you did a great job. Now, I do have a question about the solid waste. So is it a foregone conclusion that we're going to offer solid waste services or is that still being discussed? You know, the, the board uh, indicated that they would like to. There's still a lot of details to work out. So the short answer is no, it's not a foregone conclusion. Okay. Um, but I think it's likely. And okay. so that's going to be, again, based on some community input, some discussion, what it looks like. Still a lot of things to answer. And until we either enter into a contract, which is years away, mm -hmm. or we purchase equipment and hire staff, I think with very low cost, the board could say, let's stop and not do it. Um, okay. So again, that's why I believe we need this position to really become the expert for us and it not just be a side duty for an existing staff member because it is a big deal and we want to do it the right way and make sure we've had that person who's an industry expert, has time to reach out to our HOA, our community members, our contractors, and the board is really worried about our contracting community and what that means mm -hmm. for them, particularly our small contractors for which the business they do in James City County might be a significant part of their business model. So those are all the things we wanna make sure we've considered and tried to figure out how to work through. So not a foregone conclusion, but continued interest from our board of supervisors. Uh, it would also help with storm debris pickup. We could figure out that maybe another way, but certainly if we're into, into solid waste services greater, we would also incorporate if there's a storm or woody debris that people are putting out, how do we handle that and, and what level of service will we provide there? And it would certainly would be envisioned that it would be a greater level, level of service than we're currently providing. So it's a good question. Anything right. else? I think that's all I have so far. All right. Well, let me move in just some other things going on. Our Historic Triangle Recreational Facilities Authority um, skipped a few meetings because we didn't have enough uh, business to conduct as we were going through this unsolicited PPE proposals that we had received. Uh, we did meet in July, and in July we had um, formed a subcommittee of business and tourism-related individuals, uh, three from each locality, so a nine-member board uh, to assist the uh, uh, the authorities board in making a selection between the two unsolicited proposals that we had received. And we did receive a proposal from MEB and WM Jordan for this sports facility. Again, trying to build a 12 basketball courts that would be 24 volleyball courts or a number of pickleball courts that could be hosted for any kind of sports term event, sports tourism events to bring people into our community to support our, our local businesses. And so both of them gave excellent proposals. The committee's got, got a hard job, I believe, in making a recommendation. 
Uh, and so I, they don't have to recommend either one, but I believe that as we come out of that, we will select one or the other to move forward. And the next step would be you go to what they call a 35% design so that you get better cost and better detail. And that comes with us pushing and saying, these are the things in your proposal that we like and would like to see really a 35% design on. We, the authority would likely pay for that level of design work. And the authority does have money with the change in state law that would allow that to occur. So some of our maintenance of effort money related to tourism that has been required to go to the chamber and the tourism council will now come to the, directly to the authority and they could use those funds to take this to the next level. Um, so that's, I believe, the next step. And then we're probably six or nine months before we make a real decision on do we do it. And when I say that, uh, we formed the authority, York County, City of Williamsburg, and James City County, but we have not committed money to it. And so to go to the next level, to really build the facility, um, they do need, I say, the authority will need some money from James City and York County. Williamsburg has been committed to the project for a couple of years now, and so I don't think their commitment will waver. But in terms of York County and James City, we are really trying to seek information and make sure it makes sense for us. Uh, based on the financial information that was presented a year ago, I, I think it will make sense. But I want to get to better numbers, better process, be able to answer a lot of questions that we couldn't uh, last year and get to this 35% design will do so. So my sense is the authority will make a recommendation to work with one of these companies, the MEB or WM Jordan, in the August, September, October timeframe, and then six months or so later, uh, we will have a, a bigger discussion with our board of supervisors on what it might look like going forward and really make a commitment then or choose not to do it. And that's certainly an option for uh, the entities as we go forward. Scott, with that, I know that you've explained this in the past, but I recently saw a concern from a citizen think that they said that it's going to be a loss because the center is not going to break even. Can you explain again? I know, I know you've done it a couple of times on the podcast, but again, the benefit that could come to the county from this? Sure, Renette. You know, I think when, you, when we look in the state, we had two different, we, the city hired two different um, sports consultants to do financial modeling and all those things, independently work together to say, would this facility make money? And the facility itself will not. And so that was part of the conversation last year that beyond debt service, once you, you're paying for it, your operating costs, building a reserve fund, uh, it, it's about a million dollars a year short for this facility. And I won't get into the total budget, but about a million dollars a year short. And so that's where they were looking to James City and York County to put into up to about half a million dollars a year to support it. Um, and so that's a direct support to the, the facility. What that doesn't include and what was in the report, but not directly tied back to counties, is meals tax, hotels tax, sales tax increase from these visitors that otherwise wouldn't come was about a million and a half dollars a year to the three localities. It wasn't so, it didn't say it all went to York or all went to James City. It didn't equally divide between the three of us. But with that, the overall economic impact is a positive one. It's just not directly uh, related to this building. The other side for me, 500,000 a year, we, James uh, City, and I, the city of Williamsburg has expressed this as well, we need the gym space today for our residents during the week. So I can go build our community a couple gymnasiums in a park. We could do that and meet that need, but I'm going to spend in excess of $500,000 a year to do that by the time I build it and staff it and operate it. And then I'm going to have two gyms that really don't draw visitors into the community. So it doesn't support our, tour, our businesses that are here that really are geared to support the tourism economy. So uh, to your point, the facility and the, the naysayers, I don't think the facility makes money directly and supports itself entirely. But by the time you add in the sales tax uh, impact and the meals and all those other things that go on the community, 
I do think it support more than supports itself. And it certainly, uh, I believe, supports itself plus a lot of our business community here. So I think it makes us stronger. It gives us another tourism hook, not just the things that we've been known for, but another reason for people to come here and spend a weekend or three or four days or a weekend and the week before or the week after and enjoy what the area has to offer. And I do think, you know, part of the consultants that work nationally on these talk about you have to have a great facility for people to come, but you also have a reason that they want to come beyond the facility. And I think we have that. So when you, why will people come here versus some other community that's in a you know four or five hour drive? I mean, because of its our history and our quality of life and Bush Gardens and Water Country and Colonial Williamsburg and Jamestown and JYF, all those things that people come here for anyhow, I think this gives us one more significant reason uh, that people will come in addition to what's here. So I do think at the end of it, it's a revenue positive thing for the communities um, uh, and convincing people of that will take some work over time, but we'll, we'll work through that. And uh, so I would certainly encourage anyone that has concerns to call us and call me. I'm happy to talk through that. Uh, at this point, we have not committed any of our James City County controlled revenues towards this facility. What is going there is some of the maintenance of effort money. That is money that James City County is required by law to give to the Chamber and the Tourism Council. So some of that money is being redirected to this authority, which I think is a good thing. It puts it back in control of the localities. Uh, but beyond that, we've not committed anything else financially to the authority. That will be once we get through this design, we have more of the questions answered, more detailed costs. That's when we would really be committed to it long term. Well, and I would say to anyone that needs to see things with their own eyes, if you can go on Saturdays or Sunday mornings to any breakfast place in town, you will see lots of traveling sports teams there with their whole families and they're spending money. So it's a good thing. And our tourism council that's relatively new is really driving data. And it's, you know, they can now track, they can't track Renee's cell phone, but they can see that a number showed up at this sports complex and that it went places. And we can see by seeing how many cell phones went back and forth that they are in fact going to our business community. So to your point, Renee, while we, you and I can see it visually, we can show it with data. And that's part of what the Tourism Council spent a lot of time on trying to be able to prove that what we're saying is true. And the data is out there today that maybe didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago to do that. So I do think it will be successful. And, and I didn't say location. You know, we've talked about it being at the Colonial Williamsburg Visitor Center site. That's at least the preferred location at the moment. And so all those things are still subject to change. But at this point, I think that's where we're headed. And it looks like that would make a lot of sense for the three localities to be in that spot. So, so more to come. It is a big deal. There will be a lot of discussion. I do think it will be successful, both in bringing people here and financially for the community and our, more importantly, maybe our business community and tourism economy. So more to come on that. Um, other thing I wanted to uh, mention, I mentioned public meetings earlier. We are having a public meeting about the location of a park in the Grove community of James City County. We've had three properties really under consideration and discussion and hired a consultant to sort of give us pros and cons with them. The three properties are a housing partnership site that has access to Route 60 and Jackson Lane. The other one is a site behind James River Elementary where there's about 14 acres that the school division owns behind James River Elementary. And then we have another parcel that's owned by churches in the, off, on Grove Heights. And so we've had those three parcels uh, sort of under review to see what makes sense. Now we're talking about a community pool, so not a year round pool or covered, but a community pool, um, playground, parking, a shelter, bathrooms and walking trails. And that was based on community input in 2017 and 18 of what communities they would like to see in the park. 
So our August 9th meeting is not so much about the amenities of the park, although we'll talk about that briefly. It's really about the location and why we believe this location that we're recommending is the right one. Uh, the one we're recommending is the housing partnership location. It had, because it has direct access to Route 60, it will be visible there. It does have another access point off Jackson Lane. Uh, the challenge there is if we've got a number of residential households that live around it. And for those households, uh, it's very concerning that what is wooded area behind them today is going to become a public park. And so part of it will be helping those uh, families understand that we have a strong commitment to make it successful, to make it safe, and to make it attractive, and to add to their value, not to uh, make it a problem for them in their backyard. And so uh, this meeting on August 9th at 6.30 at Grove Christian Outreach Center, and anybody that has an interest, uh, we're happy to talk to you there or any other time related to the site. We have not yet purchased the site. So again, that's really where we are is trying to have conversation with the community members to make sure we have general buy-in or we don't uh, before we make a purchase of a site that really doesn't serve the community well. But based on staff uh, review, based on the consultant's recommendation of the three parcels we have there, we believe that to be the best site. So time will tell on where we end up. But I would invite people to come to the meeting. We'll also talk briefly about the Route 60 widening um, through the Grove community, um, our convenience center discussion where we've talked about a convenience center there for a number of years and really some update on bike trails, just short updates on those three items or and any other questions they may have. Uh, we've talked an awful lot about our vote center, so changing gears a little bit. We did purchase a building that's behind the courthouse and has an Ironbound Road address. So you can come in off Monticello or Ironbound Road uh, into what will be the vote center. Uh, we, we are gearing up for this fall's election. Uh, our commitment to our voter registrar was to have the facility ready by August 15th so that she can get it set up for I think September 23rd I believe is when early voting's don't hold me to September 23rd but it's somewhere around that date but I went by there yesterday and the, and the room has come together with the walls that we need to remove to remove the flooring's in uh, it's getting ready to be painted there's some ceiling tiles some minor air to be put in but I'm really pleased with the way it looks I mean it, it is going to it's not the same square footage as we've had at the rec center the rec center was always intended to be a temporary location for our vote center because that requirement came out of our state legislature rather suddenly. So uh, I think the rec center served us very well, but I think long-term uh, this facility will be a very good uh, place for our voters in early voting. And, and we've had a, a tremendous turnout in early voting. So we're looking forward to seeing uh, the comments as people come through and, and what they think of the center this year as well. More work to go with that building, but at least for this fall, I feel pretty good about where we're headed. Uh, a couple of things I'd like to talk about related to staffing. Um, I did have an opportunity to, to attend a national conference recently, and there's some tremendous folk, uh, issues across the country with staffing. And it's not just police and fire. It really is in all aspects of local government. Um, and one of the statistics they shared is that the private sector, by and large, has recovered from its employment. So whatever the employment numbers were and employees available in the private sector pre-COVID really seemed to have recovered and we're back together. So I haven't verified these numbers, but I know it was shared by who was, who was a, a, a person that uh, should have good information. What they shared on the public sector is we've not recovered as well. There are really 600,000 fewer public employees today than there was pre-pandemic. And so that is seen really nationwide in terms of staffing those things that we do in local government to provide services to our community. And so uh, I've shared before that we're making progress. And you know, again, we continue to make progress in some way, some areas. Uh, fire for one, we created nine positions uh, back in January. We weren't able to fill them all with our spring academy. 
Um, we have 19 vacancies today in fire, which uh, has created some overtime issues, meaning mandatory overtime, not just voluntary for some of our staffs. Um, but the good news is we've got 19 people that believe we believe we will have hired by the end of August to put back through the academies. So that's really good news for us on the fire side. And I don't want to tell you that we'll be fully staffed because hiring those 19, there may be one or two that don't make it through the academy. Or there may be some other retirements pending or folks that will leave. But it's really good to have that big a group in hand today and really high quality applicants applications that we'd received to be able to offer jobs to 19 individuals. So if all works well, they will come on board at the end of August. A few of them are certified already. They would be on in our station sooner. The bulk of them would go through a six to nine month training of both fire and EMT training, and it would be in the station sometime late spring of uh, 23, I guess, when I think of my numbers. So anyway, I do think that's really good progress there. Other departments are hit or miss. I gain in one area and we do better here. And then over here has lost some people for various reasons. Uh, one that we've talked uh, a bit about over the past several months has been vacancies in police. Uh, it's not new to the region. Uh, when you look back this region and some of the reports that are out there, a lot of the departments in Hampton Roads have vacancy rates in the 6% to 10% to 20% to some 30%. So their vacancy rates in police is not unique or an unusual thing within Hampton Roads. But it is unusual for James City County. This is a, a time where we've got as many vacancies as we probably had in a long time. And so it has been a concern for myself and the chief. And so we've talked through that of how do we address that. Some of that has been trying to help in salaries. You know, we had an issue this spring where we were, our entry level pay for officers was somewhere around 42,000, police and fire. And we were worried about recruitment based on what was going on in the region. We did recommend to the board and they approved raising the salaries uh, 12%. So we raised them from 42 to 47. It's still behind in the region. There are other areas that are in the low 50s. And so we're still having those conversations of how do we do that in terms of having better entry level pay and not creating compression issues within the department. Because it's I mean, very sensitive to having somebody who's been here 15 or 20 years ought to be making more because of their skill set and value to the community than somebody that just started yesterday in policing. And so those are things that we're trying to balance. We could raise starting pay, but I want to make sure that we can do it fairly to those that have been here and have served the community for a long tenure. So we are talking about changing of services and what that means. And as we have more information to share there, we will. Um, but we will refocus on areas that are important within policing and not that they all aren't, but some of those higher priority areas to make sure that we have officers on the street as needed. So more conversation to come in terms of salary and what's going on there. Uh, but I do want to uh, say to the community that we're aware of it and working on it and say to our staff uh, in all departments, but police as well, uh, that we are constantly talking about it and looking for ways to solve it and make it uh, make continue to make James City County an employer choice. I think we're a great place to live and work. And we want to make sure we're recruiting the right people for that and having our, our positions filled. So we're working uh, through those kind of issues as well. Uh, there's also uh, your national focus on mental health uh, and talking to uh, people from across the country, uh, both in the, the, their communities and in workspaces. And we did have a 988 number, Go Help, we'll go live for mental health in Virginia and, and across, across the country a few weeks ago. There are trained councils there to answer calls. So if you, you or anyone you know is having any kind of mental health emergency, this 988 number is meant for you. And so I would please encourage you to call 988 and see, and I'm told they have a, a pretty high success rate in helping people that call in, but I would just encourage you to do that and make sure you're looking after yourself and others in your community. And then the other thing that, that is going on in a lot of workspaces is what they call mental health first aid training. 
and we've done a lot of basic first aid training within our workforces. Uh, the mental health first aid training I had not heard of until recently, uh, but in talking to some other organizations that have done it, it has been very well received by their staffs. And the intent is to help us look after our coworkers better. You know, we see them uh, most days uh, throughout the day, maybe spend more time with them sometimes than their families do. And certainly if they appear to be, if we recognize some signs, maybe we can offer them assistance or get them to a place where they can get assistance before it turns into a more significant kind of item. So I'm really excited about the opportunity for that. And we'll see more about where we end up related to that. Um, the final thing I wanna mention, Renee, now that I'm close to the end of my notes, um, is I-64 widening um, is uh, a pretty, Big discussion item, and there'll be some that think it's a good thing and some that maybe are concerned with the growth and development it might bring, but there's a, around 29 miles from here in Richmond that uh, is still two lane, and if you travel to Richmond, you've experienced that. What's happened from here down through Newport News and all with the widening has been better. The tunnel construction, I think, will make getting across the James River much better in the, in the years to come. And so the focus has been, how do we complete this 29 miles? And our state legislature is about a $700 million project, so it's a pretty big deal uh, in terms of dollars. Our state legislature has put significant money towards it in the tune of four or $500 million. Uh, the Secretary of Transportation would like to get sections of it awarded by the end of this year, so that's a pretty aggressive schedule. Um, and whether it will be three projects or one, I think is still being discussed. And I guess my sense is it will be multiple projects so they can start with the money they have on a section or two. And then locally, um, I guess the planning district commissions and some of the transportation money that they control, both in the Richmond area and in Hampton Roads, are being asked to contribute uh, 100 to 150 million. Uh, and so we are working hard as, as a region uh, to support the widening of the rest of I-64. And I hope our community will see some action on that uh, beginning as early as uh, early 2023. So we'll more to come on that. But I do think our state legislature really made it possible that uh, this, this project could move forward quicker um, and with, with their funding as along with some federal government and some local transportation funds as well. So with that, Renee, I didn't get my phone number. I usually try to give that out. I'm always here to, uh, willing to talk to people. I may have to return the call, but I'm happy to do that. And, um, so please, if they have questions or comments or just have other items they'd like to talk about, it's 757-253-6603. Again, 253-6603. And again, I'm always uh, delighted to speak with members of our community. So with that, I think I'll close out and wish everybody a a happy and safe summer. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott. As always, great job. Lots of information in this. So maybe too much, Renee. But no, never, never, never. All right. Thanks, Scott. Well, that wraps up this episode of This Week in James City County. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, please take a moment to subscribe. That way you will be sure to never miss an episode. You can go to our website. We're at jamescitycountyva.gov slash podcast. And while there, you're going to find all of our episodes as well as a form that you can complete, give us show ideas, comments, crit ugh, criticisms. That's a hard word today. Whatever you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear from you. So once again, thank you so much. And we will talk with you next time.